Welcome to another episode of the Fool's Gold Podcast. I'm Brian, the stock market fool. And on the other line, we've got Ryan, the crypto fool. Ryan, how's the, the crypto market looking these days? Hey, Brian. Uh, well, it's it's going pretty good. Uh, Bitcoin topped $50,000. So that's always exciting. So uh, all in all, crypto market is, is up and up. It just passed $1.5 trillion total market cap. So that is, uh, it's all, all, it's all good signs. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've missed it, we started a little bit of a change on our podcast. Uh, we, uh, released, what were we, what are we calling this, Ryan? The he- headliners? Headline. Yeah. Headliners. Yeah. That sounds yeah. like a good name. Yeah. So if you want, uh, to stay informed on some current crypto and stock market news, uh, it's you know be sure to be following us on every Wednesday. Yes. All right. Well, Ryan, I want to first before we get into our story today, I wanted to ask you a question. You ready for this? I am ready. Okay. What do airbeds, cereal boxes, and Obama have in common? Whoa. <laughs> um. Waterbeds, cereal, and Obama. Airbeds. Oh, airbeds. And what is an airbed? <laughs> you know, like an air mattress. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really just distracting from the point that I don't know. I have no idea, Brian. Okay, okay. I didn't think you would, but I was kind of <laughs> testing to see if maybe you've heard this story before. But uh, each of them are critical parts of the story of Airbnb. Oh. And if any of our listeners aren't familiar with Airbnb, it's essentially the eBay of hotels, right? So have you ever used Airbnb before, Ryan? I have gotten on there many times, uh, but I've never actually spent any money on there. Okay. Do you... I've, just, I've just browsed and then wished that I could afford some of these places and then closed the app. That's about the extent of what I do. All right. Have uh have you ever heard of their kind of startup story by chance? I I don't think so. Okay. Well, I don't usually think about sharing an individual company's startup story when doing our podcast, but I felt like there might be a few lessons to learn from their story, their startup story, and plus it's just an entertaining story. So, buckle up, I think you're going to like this one. Oh boy. All right. So our story starts back in 2008, and it started out with two guys, Brian and Joe were their names, and they had moved to San Francisco from New York, and they didn't have enough money to pay their rent, so they had a creative idea. Now, Ryan, we were roommates in a small townhome (laughs) that we called the Dingy Dungeon. (laughs) Do you remember why we called it that again? Those are not my brightest days, Brian. Um, (laughs) Yes, uh, well, the, one of the reasons was because we always had trails of ants crawling in through our house to our <laughs> trash closet because uh, yes. we didn't have a trash can. Our trash can became a trash closet. Uh, I remember. But, I was scared to open up our closet to see <laughs> piles of cat uh, of trash and wondering who was going to take it out that day. Yeah, it started out as like whoever knocked over the tra- tower of trash would have to take it out, but then... <laughs> It just became whoever knocks, you know, whoever, whoever can't stand the 
closet full of trash. They're the one that take it out. <laughs> anyway, I don't think we ever got to the point where we couldn't pay our rent, but we were both going to college and finances were pretty tight, so we could understand their feelings of things being tight and trying to be creative, right? Yeah. So they had an idea. They noticed that all the hotel rooms in the city were completely booked because of an industrial design conference being held at the time. And their idea was to rent out three air mattresses or air beds on their floor to people looking for a place to stay. And have you ever slept on an air bed before, Ryan? Uh, while camping. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How was your experience? Do you remember what it was like? Well, I hate camping in general, so it's hard to separate the two, uh, but I would say I did not enjoy the airbed. Okay. Well, the question is, would you sleep on an airbed on a stranger's apartment floor? Would you be that desperate? Uh, wow. Um, depends on how clean they keep the place. <laughs> okay. First of all, where's this? I've never heard airbed. I'm still stuck on that. It's not a bed. <laughs> These things are like air cloth i mean there's like nothing it's like sleeping on a cloud ryan come on oh man okay so they created a website called airbedandbreakfast.com so they could advertise their airbeds well lo and behold they had two guys and one lady show up and pay eighty dollars each to sleep on their air mattresses did the people a... know each other i know they random so. they're all random three random people yeah three random guy people it was a 30-year-old Indian man, a 35-year-old woman from Boston, and a 45-year-old man from Utah. Oh, and okay. they thought that was easy to make some money, so they invited their friend Nathan to be one of the founders and have him help build their website. Well, they didn't have much success, and they were in a lot of debt. So much debt, in fact, that they had a binder full of credit cards. <laughs> you know, and so Brian, one of the founders, he related it to the baseball baseball card plastic holders. You know that you keep in mm. binders. You yep. know, we're, we're we're really familiar with those because we I still have mine. Uh, but he he said it's like that, but instead of being filled with baseball cards, it was filled with credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So their next goal was to find somebody, some poor somebody that was willing to invest in their company and Brian he said that one point you could have owned 10% of the company for about a hundred thousand dollar investment which I'll get back to on how much that would be worth today later on in the story but uh, nobody wanted to invest in them and he said that one investor was you know meeting with him at a cafe and as he was talking to him the potential investor stood up went and ordered a, a smoothie and just walked out of the cafe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how's that for rejection? <laughs> I know. So, I, I mean, I guess I don't really blame people, though, not being willing to invest in them. Like, think of the, their business plan. You know, it sounds kind of sketchy, renting out your place for people to stay overnight, you know, sleep, sleeping on your floors, some stranger, <laughs> you know. it's. I would probably order a smoothie and leave, too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, th all this was happening back in 2008. And what was going on in the fall of 2008? The presidential election between Obama and McCain. 
Mm. And there was a Democratic National Convention in Denver, and so they had hoped that they would get a boost in users since Obama supporters might be willing to give other Obama supporters a place to stay, you know, for the convention, which they did have a lot of success and users increased during the convention. But after the convention was over, users and their website went back to basically zero. And they still had a lot of debt and no investors. So they had another idea. And this is where the the cereal boxes come into play here. So they thought, hey, we're called air bed and breakfast. You know, like bed and breakfast. Air bed and breakfast. So they thought it would be good to provide breakfast for people. And what is the healthiest and best breakfast in the world? Cereal. Cereal. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And because, you know, it'd be easier to, you know, sell cereal boxes online versus like eggs, you know, (laughs) something like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So they decided to make some cereal during the election and sell it for $40 per box. (laughs) What? Yeah. (laughs) $40 per box. And it, you know, it wasn't even super fancy cereal. It was like just the generic Cheerios. Uh, but the the idea is they came up with Obama O's, the <laughs> breakfast of change, okay. and, and Cap'n McCain's, a maverick in every bite. <laughs> so I'm trying to understand this. So did they come up with just the box and they used existing cereal, or did they actually create their own cereal line? Uh, it was more like they just got generic cereal and just had like a box that had like cool marketing on it you know with the obama oh, okay. o's and the cap and cap and mccain's so okay so yeah, possibly was... not legal what they're doing <laughs> i'm sure it's legal but yeah it might be a little bit of a gray area okay okay but yeah random fact i actually walked by senator mccain in a parking lot like six years ago and uh i didn't want to like bother him so i just waved to him and said hi and he, he did wave back to me though so <laughs> did you tell him you ate his cereal no i didn't <laughs> i didn't even know about it, the cereal okay. okay but yeah it's not like they had a professional cereal maker helping them and so they were assembling boxes in their their kitchen you know gluing together boxes with hot glue guns you know and so i mean this is like this is truly just hustling you know they're just they're just doing this on their own and so the the crazy thing is that they ended up selling about 800 boxes and making $30,000. And that was essentially their first round of financing. Uh, and they sold out of the Obama O's, but they had several Cap'n, Cap'n McCain's left over. <laughs> so they ended up just eating those to save money on groceries. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm like distracted. I'm looking at their... Uh, their um... The Obama O's right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what do you think? So, Would you have it, paid 40 bucks for it? I mean, it is really good. It actually is really good marketing uh, <laughs> on, on, on that box. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's clever. I, I've never, of course, never paid $40 for that. I mean, what do you do? Do you eat the cereal or do you, I guess you could eat the cereal and keep the box as like a commemorative thing? Yeah, that's what I would think. I mean, I feel like most people would pay you know, large amounts of money for anything when it comes to politics, right? Anything they're they're willing to stand for, you know, and so yeah. something like that. I could see that happening, but <laughs> well, in two thousand and nine, 
they started getting some traction and they switched their concept from just listing shared spaces to all types of accommodations. And New York was actually their biggest market. Uh, but the pictures that people were posting, it didn't look very attractive. And so they actually went door to door of their users in New York and took photos of their houses, you know, listed so that it would look better on their website. Hmm. So, I mean, these guys are just like, they're resourceful. They're doing all this stuff themselves. You know, they're obviously just working it. And, you know, obviously every company like that probably has some similar story when they're first starting. But it's just interesting to, to hear some of the things they have to be creative with. And, and by March of 2009, they had 10,000 registered users and the rest is history. They now have hmm. hosted several millions of guests and they just went public in December of last year. And their market cap, take a guess, Ryan. What, what, what do you think their market cap is today? $300 billion. <laughs> not, not that high quite. <laughs> okay. But uh, it is $126 billion. Whew. And guess what Marriott, Marriott's uh, market cap is? <laughs> Three hundred billion. <laughs> um, one hundred billion. It's forty-two billion. Hmm. So crazy. So yeah, Airbnb overtaking yeah. the the big man. So yeah, so a lot of people are you know thinking that this is gonna be this is gonna be it, right? This is gonna be what revolutionizes you know the the uh, hotel industry. And hmm. uh, so a company that went from a couple of guys renting out their air mattresses in their apartment to creating a huge successful company that is, you know, like I said, revolutionizing the hotel business, you know, worth over a hundred billion dollars. Um, and so, like I mentioned earlier, you could own 10% of the company for about a hundred thousand. Uh, I was listening to like a little, uh, you know, like a talk, you know, at a conference from, from, uh, Brian Chesky, you know, one of the founders and, and he he mentioned that. And so if you do the math, right, if it's a $126 billion company and you own 10% of it, that'd be over $12 billion, right? And so that's that's a, I would say that's a pretty good return on your investment, right? Yeah, but, okay, but that, so 10% of 100, they're valuing their company at a million dollars back then? I mean, right? so this, this is a, you know, not the very beginning. I'm sure this is probably at some point when they're trying, you know, talking to different venture capitalists, you know. And so is this before or some... after the cereal? It was before the cereal. Probably after the cereal. I'm assuming. Oh, it was after the cereal. Yeah. Ah, okay. That so makes a lot more that sense. was their first round of, uh, of uh, you know, financing. So I would imagine that it's at some point. He didn't mention the specific time of that, but. Uh... Ah, I see. Because yeah, the, yeah. the cereal that the cereal definitely puts it over a million dollars valuation. I got it. <laughs> well, why are you saying that so matter of fact? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the cereal did it for me. <laughs> I'm in. If that I'm smoothie in. guy, if that guy had just seen the cereal boxes, he would not have gotten a smoothie and left. He would have bought a cereal box. Oh man, hey, those are pretty cool cereal boxes. <laughs> So before I ask you my question, I wanted to tee it up by reading you something, okay, Ryan? So when they were getting some traction with the whole serial thing, they actually had a meeting with a famous venture capitalist named Fred Wilson. 
and he decided to pass on the opportunity to invest in them. But I wanted to read what uh, this venture capitalist said that he learned from passing on them. And so he wrote this in like an article or some kind of blog post back in 2011. And he said, I asked them if they'd leave a box of cereal for us, and it had been sitting in our conference room ever since. Whenever someone tells me that they can't figure out how to raise the first $25,000 they need to get their company started, I stand up, walk over to the cereal box, and tell this story. It is a story of pure, unadulterated hustle, and I love it. At that time, Airbnb was a marketplace for air mattresses on the floors of people's apartments, thus the name. They had ideas for taking on other listings, but they had not yet made such progress on them. We couldn't wrap our heads around air mattresses on the living room floors as the next hotel room and did not chase the deal. Others saw the amazing team that we saw, funded them, and the rest is history. Airbnb is well on its way to building the eBay of spaces. I'm pretty sure it will be a billion-dollar business in time. We made the classic mistake that all investors make. We focused too much on what they were doing at the time and not enough on what they could do, would do, and did do. Mm. I am proud that our portfolio is full of companies where we saw the vision before other investors did and backed a great team, but we don't always get it right. We missed Airbnb, even though we love the team. Big mistake. The cereal box will remain in our conference room as a warning not to make that mistake again. Hmm. So kind of interesting, right? Hearing quote, it from yeah, yeah a big uh, VC, um, and obviously he's probably pitched a lot of different ideas. And, uh, and so that's where I kind of wanted to take our conversation a little bit, and I wanted to ask you a question. So first question, is it possible for a Joe Blow investor like you and me to identify a process that will allow you to consistently find companies that you can grow your investment a hundred times? Or is it is it just luck? What do you think? Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um it, I, I I think and what kind of what that guy was getting at there, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the foundations of any you know company. Uh, or project um because that's that's really where the future potential comes from and so it, it, is is there a way for us to do it? i don't think so i mean that if if that was possible i think everyone would be there'd be very you know it'd be too easy in a sense if if there was a way to predictably do that every single time but uh, i think there are you know, foundational principles that you can focus your investments on that uh, make it a little less speculative uh, as you try to predict future potential. Yeah, well, what would you say are like some critical pieces of that formula? You know, maybe we don't put the whole formula together right now and just, you know, and have this amazing process, but like, what would you say, like, what would be pieces of that formula that you'd be like, okay, this is, if I were to be finding a hundred times my investment, you know, opportunity, like it would have to have these critical pieces. So I can answer that for crypto. Yeah. I yeah. look for in crypto. For sure. Because I, I know it's different than what you look for in stock market, right? Because in stock market, you're dealing with companies 
they have to do they have to generate profits they have to run a business in crypto it's more about the potential of a project um, and how um, widespread it can become and how useful it can be uh, and so what i look for with crypto is um, i look for a couple of things one i look for the utility of that uh token which we've mentioned before we'll talk about in later episodes but you know the how useful is that cryptocurrency um because i think that helps um influence the supply and demand of the cryptocurrency in the long run um, and so that can really have a big impact on price um i also look at the founders of the project um mm. you know what is their stake in the project um we've met you know with DeFi now a lot of times these founders uh, do not have any coins for themselves they're not keeping any for themselves you know versus something like xrp and ripple where they saved themselves they, they kept 100 billion coins for themselves and they started selling it and giving it away as they wanted to me that's a big that's a big uh thing i focus on is you know what are the founders doing with this project how committed are they are they just in it to make money and then leave or are they in it because they actually care about the project and they want to see its future potential and future growth totally yeah i i definitely agree with that especially on like the founder ceo and that's kind of like where my mind was going you know we've talked in the past about how stories behind certain companies or certain crypto projects and how their founder can really make a difference in an investment you know thinking about tesla's story or bitcoin story and how it caused such a big cult-like following and there's been plenty of stocks you know or in crypto that have been huge winners over the last 10 years you know and basically every crypto you know has obviously been uh, you know done really well um but like amazon tesla you know and did you know that you could buy one share of amazon for 35 dollars back in 2009 during the financial crisis Whoa. So so now, you know, one stock is more than $3,000, meaning if you had the guts to invest behind, you know, uh, Jeff Bezos, you know, and put $10,000 into Amazon during that crash, it would be worth almost, you know, a million dollars right now. Or Tesla, you know, it was under it was under $10 per share after considering like stock splits for almost uh, like the first three years of being public for from 2010 to 2013. And so $10,000 investment in there would be worth about $800,000, you know? And so it, it's not like it's going to, you know, this growth happened over, you know, 40 years, you know, it's not like the, the boring Microsoft story. You know what I mean? It's like, this <laughs> isn't about 10 years or less. Like I know it sounds so easy, but there's got to be a way to spot that kind of, you know, talent and potential, um, you know, and because a wise investment can change your life in 10 years or less. And that's pretty yeah. powerful. I mean, I, and so I think a big part of that is, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, like the founder and the CEO and the story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and those examples are perfect examples, right? Tesla with Elon Musk, uh, Amazon with Bezos, Apple with uh, Steve Jobs, you know, Amazon, have you seen Amazon's original website? Like when they first launched, when they were just a books no. bookstore, basically. I remember using it, uh, like during, uh, like my community college days, trying to look for books. You know, mm. that was like in two thousand and seven. Yeah, uh, I'm sure they had other stuff, but that was the big part of like 
what they were known for. Yeah, yeah. So it, if you haven't seen it, you should Google it. It is incredible. Like, who could see <laughs> potential in that product by looking at, you know, obviously this is back in the day, so all websites were a little bit less quality, but I mean, it looked pretty rough. Um, but But the potential was there because of the founder and because of his vision and because of what he could make it become. Um, and so, and so that, that, that common thread of that founder of what he can do on a company is, is pretty significant. And then one other story, uh, that I wanted to go over was, uh, or just kind of, uh, talking about this, the CEO and founder was with Salesforce. Are, are you familiar with that company? Uh, it sounds are familiar. Heard of them? So they're, they're a cloud computing service that helps companies with their CRM, you know, customer relationship management. Hmm. Um, and they're the one that's acquiring Slack for yes, almost okay. $30 billion. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, the CEO and founder, he's this big guy. I think he's like 6'5", 290 pounds. Ooh. And his name is uh, Mark Benioff. And he's a pretty legendary, you know, in the you know CEO world. And he's known for being a pretty bold guy that has some creative marketing strategies. And so the company was founded in 1999, and he would, you know, Mark, he would do anything to get their name out there. And so soon after founding the company in 2000, uh, there's this company called uh, Siebel Systems or Siebel Systems. I don't know how to say it, but they were their main competitors but they weren't on the cloud. They were still like downloaded software. And, you know, Mark Benioff, he hired actors <laughs> to stage a fake protest outside of Siebel Systems annual conference. <laughs> and the protesters were marching around saying things like, the internet is really neat, software is obsolete. <laughs> and he even hired a fake TV crew to cover the protest. No and way. Yeah, he even considered renting a tank and having the driver dress as General Patton, but then he thought that that might be going a little too far. <laughs> so, and he didn't stop there. He, so he kept doing things like this to try to get his name out there. So uh, he also hosted like a big military-themed end-of-software party, and if you wanted to be led into the party, you had to bring some old software that you could put in a software trash bin when you came in. And in, <laughs> at the party, there were different themed areas of the party. Like there was the, quote, software free zones or prisoners of software area. And they also had a game area called throw the disc in the toilet game. <laughs> Wow, this sounds then, like an amazing party. I know. And apparently, like, when they have, like, annual conferences, you know, they, they go all out. They have, like, huge names. I think they've had, like, Obama come talk to them and stuff like that. And, and so they, they spare no expense, you know, when it comes to this, like, their marketing. Um, and then the other one, the other time uh, was with Siebel Systems again. Apparently, they were big rivals, so... Uh, there was a uh, Siebel Systems conference in France, and most of the participants had to fly into the airport and drive like 45 minutes to the city where the conference was being held. And most of them would have to take a taxi to get to the conference. So Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, he decided to rent out 
all the airport taxis and use <laughs> use that 45 minute drive to educate the attendees of the conference of you know of salesforce.com and so i think i think the cops had to get involved or something like that uh, but it's just really interesting you know like some of these ceos you know or founders like they'll do anything you know and so you I, I guess that's what I'm taking from these stories is um, is that you want to find somebody, you know, that has this vision, this passion that is, you know, regardless of what happens, they're going to find a way to execute what they see as their vision. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm sure it's the same with crypto, right, where uh, they have this vision, you know, like you talked about last week. Um, uh, what's the guy, Ethereum's uh, creator? Vitalik. Vitalik. Yeah. Somebody like that, you know, yep. or Elon Musk, you know, I feel like if, as long as you're, I, I know it's not a, uh, like a bulletproof formula, but that has to be one of the key ingredients of the formula. If you're going to find a successful golden opportunity where you can hundred extra money, you know, or, or whatever it is that your goal is, I think it has to be uh, part of that for sure. Yeah, and it's interesting, especially in the crypto world where these projects can literally be copy and paste in terms of their code because all this code is open source. And so, you know, different projects can literally copy and paste uh, code and then create their own project. And so what's what's the difference? Well, the difference is the founders and their vision of what they can make it become. And right. and so, you know, you, you, there's even with copy and pasted code, you still have all sorts of different projects um, based on the, the visions of these people. And uh, so that's where they can differentiate themselves is by those founders, but foundational element to it. Totally. I definitely agree. Well, that does it for another episode of the Fool's Gold podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's story and learned something from it. If you did, feel free to leave us a five-star review on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to. And Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Fool's Gold. That's G-O-A-L-E-D. We post there a few times per week. But until next time, Ryan, I'll talk to you later. Talk to you later, Brian.